You're listening to The Real Foster Parents of Colorado. I'm Hope, and I started Foster Together Colorado to meet the needs I saw in my first three years as a foster mom. My theory, and it has proven true so far, is that if we make it easy to learn about the human stories of foster care, then good-hearted Coloradans will be ready to help in simple ways. This is the only podcast focused on foster parenting or child welfare in Colorado. Our goal is to make foster care fascinating by stories from neighbors to neighbors and living room conversations. This podcast is the next best thing to meeting a foster parent in real life and asking them all those questions. How do you make it work? Don't you get attached? What's it like when they leave? I'm starting this episode with a sobering note. Just last week, as I finished edits on this episode, part two of my conversation from last time with Kate and Adam about raising a teenager, I heard from Kate that Adam had died unexpectedly while traveling for work. I only had the joy of meeting Adam once, while recording this podcast in their living room, actually, but I have become close with Kate over the last year as we've served together on the Foster Parent Steering Committee, and also as we've just shared our general humor about what it's really like to be a foster mom. I am so thankful that we made a date to get Adam's perspective as a foster dad on tape because his life tells a needed story that being a dad is about being present and attentive to a kid, period, full stop. It's not just about your own ego and biologically fathering a child or even having memories of babyhood and toddler antics to help us stay invested and present through those puzzles of raising a teenager. Kate and Adam spent the last 18 months building their life up as a support to one child who needed their stability to launch into adulthood, and his death only strengthens my resolve to bring more fun, stabilizing, calm, attentive men into this work of helping kids and families. Adam was kind and thoughtful, and I'm better for the two short hours I got to spend with him. Kate told me that what Adam would be most upset about right now is being yet another person who has, quote, left Amber the 18-year-old that they've been raising for the last year and a half. His dedication to Amber, his daughter by choice, is worth celebrating and honoring, even as it leaves us mourning for his young family. Because I know many of you will want to help, Kate and Amber do not need financial assistance. But if you'd like to contribute to celebrating his life, you may make a donation to the Rocky Mountain Rescue Group, rockymountainrescue.org, where Adam planned to volunteer this year. If you would like to offer a word to Kate or Amber, please email me at connect at fostertogether.co.com and I will pass your note along to them. Finally, in Adam's honor, I'm replacing the question of the episode with an invitation for you to simply jot down your favorite quote or idea from Adam in this episode and, if you like, share it with us under the episode post on any of our social media accounts. On Instagram, we are at fostertogether. On Facebook, we are Foster Together Colorado, and on Twitter, we're using my personal account at Hope40H-O-P-E-F-O-R-T-I. Kate will see all of these, and it will be a beautiful way to honor his life and share the grief and celebration with Kate and Amber. Now let's listen to the interview where Adam shares exactly how he and Kate made their home welcoming and helpful to Amber. Have you guys figured out how to be parents to a teenager? Going from just two married people with no kids, dog parents, to being teenager parents. What's that been like, and has it been different than you expected? If I had to use one word, I would say cerebral. I mean, mm. we've just been 
growing and every experience is another chance to learn and every like everything else in life every instance of an issue is another another thing to build on the last thing so each time something happens we think oh great so this is not perfect or wonderful necessarily but we've been through this and we have an idea you know amber's shown us how she wants to work with us on this particular item we have a better understanding of it but then the next thing is another she's growing right along with us mm-hmm. it's, we've become a family and it's a it's just a really fluid thing I mean, my first reaction to your question was that you're going to have to ask her because I have no idea yeah. if we're doing a good job. Right. I mean, that's right. Right. I'm a, I'm an incredibly confident person mm-hmm. and nothing has ever made me question myself more than this journey. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't know if I'm doing a good job. I think in some ways the proof is in the fact that she stayed in our home for 14 months now. Mm-hmm. Um, and same school for over a year and, yeah but you know a lot of that is just more to her credit right. it's hard it to tell you know and um, I hope that we're doing a wonderful job but that's whenever we have to have serious conversations with her that's always one of the first things we say is like your feedback is equally important here because if you feel like we're making something into a bigger deal than it should be or if we're missing the point or if we're misunderstanding your feelings like we need that feedback from you because we're as new at this as you are the day you showed up was the day we became parents. You guys, that almost makes me cry. Oh. That is so tender and open of you guys to have that approach to her. And I think a lot of um, a lot of people are more okay. If you're going to come into my home, it's going to be on my terms. And um, and I think there's there's absolutely a place for that. Um, at the same time, I think the openness that you guys have is probably a level of humility and a level of um, teamwork that she, that a lot of teens in the system probably don't get. Well, I think it's especially important with a teenager who just has not been listened to or respected for Mm. most of her life. Mm -hmm. I mean, I felt very strongly that if we were able to establish a foundation of respect and openness from the beginning, that everything would flow through that. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that we've been successful in doing that, but making her understand that, at the end of the day, this is her life, and right. we're here to support it and guide it. Um, and I think that's part of working with a teenager versus a younger kid, which I know we'll talk about. But we're here to offer what we have in terms of support for her. Give her a stable place to be and to, you know, it's silly, but the basics. She has food. She has a place to sleep. And we care about her, mm-hmm. like, in a very real way. And so she can go and do her homework, and she can go to – school and work and do the things she needs to do without, without having to worry without worrying yeah and i know that seems sounds like a very like basic way but it's really it's at the bottom of that pyramid right? yeah i mean um, you really have math to have hierarchy yeah, yeah you've got to have that to be able to focus on the things and you know she, kids in the system her, her included are scrambling to make up for deficits that came from trauma that they had earlier in their lives oh, and yeah. It doesn't matter to the rest of the world when she turns 18 what her story is. She needs to be ready to go. Um, and so it's been a lot of scrambling to get her where she needs to be because there's this clock that's ticking that just doesn't care how many schools she's been to or what her relationship skills are like and her trust issues. It doesn't matter to the rest of the world. Yeah, it's weird because she's got this late start and then she's expected to be ready. You know, the system, I feel like, just tells her when you're 18, you're an adult. Mm-hmm. And I think all kids have that as a loose guideline, but it's a very real 
am I going to be out on the streets when I'm 18? So it's really is like this finish line thing. And we try to cultivate, you can be with us as long as it takes. It was very easy for us to say to her from the beginning, 18 doesn't matter. There could be military, there could be college, there could be time off to figure out what you want to do. But like, we'll be here for that. And it's not like when your case closes with the Department of Human Services that we've got someone waiting to get in your room right Right. behind you. This is a different sort of dynamic that exists with kinship placements. And I think that's especially true with biological kinship, which is what people think of when they think of kinship. With grandparents or aunts. Mm -hmm. I mean, they're your blood. They're your family. You're going to take care of those people the best that you can. Um, And for us, it's the same, regardless of of the biological relationship. But that I do think is part of why kinship placements end up statistically being more successful because kids don't just age out of the system and then hit the streets. Yeah. Yeah. And it, and what a good thing for foster parents to hear too, that they can cultivate that with their child through foster care. Mm-hmm. Even if they're not kinship, mm-hmm. they could make that kind of relationship because you guys aren't blood related. Right. But you have built that kind of relationship through CASA and now through being her kinship parents mm-hmm. and her parents without any kind of, yeah. Pretext. It is the uniqueness of working with teenagers, too, because a lot of teenagers return home is not the goal in their case. Right. Okay. So a lot of kids in foster care go home after a while. It's always the goal. Okay. Right. I mean, the goal of any team of people around a kid, including a caseworker, an attorney, is to, get back to, is to return home. It's okay. always the stated goal at the beginning of a case so um, to make home safe enough. Right. We're ready enough. We want bio parents or wherever they were to feel like they are ready to fully engage and parent their kids. Mm -hmm. And the role of a foster parent is to support that biological family through that process. Mm -hmm. To reunite families. To reunite the family. Mm -hmm. With teenagers, a lot of times by the time they enter the system or have been in for a while, um, there's either no relationship with biological parents or their stated legal goal is emancipation, which is basically to give them the life skills they need by the time they turn 18. And they're, and they're old enough then to say, I genuinely do not want to keep trying Correct. with my bio parents. The court will hear and respect the opinions mm-hmm. of those kids, not 100% of the time. Yeah. Um, but a lot of the time, what the court will find in, that the best interest of a teenager is what the teenager wants. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's that's another interesting dynamic about working with teenagers, which is that a lot of the stress and strife and confusion that I hear from foster parents who work with younger kids is in navigating their relationships with biological yes. parents, which um, in our particular situation, we have none of. Mm-hmm. That yeah, entire component is removed. We feel like we're we have this ideal situation. Amber's amazing. We don't have a lot of issues with our family members making things hard to do. There's no contact, you know, um, between us and biological parents. Their voices on the phone at court who are very supportive of us and of Amber, and that's appreciated. But we don't coordinate visits. We don't have to share time. We don't have the transportation struggle of back and forth and supervision and all of that. Um, and I think that people would find that to be very uh true for a lot of teenage cases. Mm -hmm. So I know that one of the biggest needs in foster care all over the country and including here in Colorado is people who are willing to take teenagers. Mm -hmm. So you'd say don't necessarily be, I mean, be prepared, but maybe not be afraid. I mean, I'm terrified of fostering a baby. Yeah. That scares me. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, (laughs) that terrifies me. I don't have the skills to take care of a newborn. And a lot of people want that. And I think a lot of people look at teenagers and they say, Oh my God, 
that's so scary. You know, at that age, they can hurt you. They can sneak out of the house. They can self-destruct. They can use drugs. They can disappear. Um, and that's all true. Mm-hmm. But it's I think it's about knowing what you're equipped to do. And yeah. I don't think it's any different than my fear of fostering a newborn. I'm yeah. sure I could do that. Yeah. I don't want to do it. And it scares me. Yeah. And, and does it play into you guys both being professionals that this is a better fit for you to have a teenager in school? Uh, yeah. Yeah. That you can probably talk about the autonomy that she has because of her age. I mean, in terms of transportation and she has a job that she goes to four times a week where we don't have to worry about, you know, what she, there's, there's a, a lessening of the burden because she shares in it equally with us. Mm-hmm. She does. She, it's a team effort. All three of us work together to get through every day mm-hmm. and you know with an infant you know that's, no it's not you know, no it's not, it's not never. The same. it's very nope. one-sided all dependent. i you know i would yeah, have to either one of us would either have to quit our jobs or take a leave of absence i don't know what we would even be allowed in that situation to take a, a newborn or a young child um because it's the logistical time commitments of feeding and schedules and naps and things that i don't mm-hmm. know anything about um but with a teenager it's about getting her to school, mm-hmm. getting her home from school, after school activities, which for her largely includes work and any team sports she might be playing and her social life. Um, and she's able to navigate that stuff too, like getting rides home from school from friends or going to sleepovers or things that are perfectly, you know, age appropriate um, that she can arrange that we arranged at that age too. Yeah. Normalizing. Um Childhood experience. That's that word that I was looking for. Yeah, yeah. You guys have a lot of vocabulary. Oh, yeah. Well, we're on the foster parent steering committee together, so we talk about all these things very officially. (laughs) Very official. So we can use the prudent parenting standard. That's right. Right. (laughs) Um, What about, so, so going back to that fear that some people have of teenagers, obviously it's not all daisies and roses and unicorns and butterflies because it's not as if you don't have to worry about any of those stereotypical fears right. um, that you have with, with teenagers in general or with fostering teenagers, like running away or using um, substances or anything like that. So that can be on the table. So how do you navigate that without losing your mind? I mean, does it stress <laughs> you out? Do you have rules? How do you decide when you're going to jump in and leave work early and pick her up? How we do that? It's a lot of instinct. Mm-hmm. It's a lot it's of practice, <laughs> and um, it's 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 no more than I think what other people go through when they're raising teenagers. Mm-hmm. I think you know raising teenagers in and of itself is a difficult, emotional, stressful thing to do. Mm-hmm. Um, I think being younger people helps us relate to teenagers. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I was I'm only 13 years older than Amber. Uh-huh. So it wasn't that long ago that I was going through a lot of the same sort of social and emotional things that she's going through. Um, and to be able to relate in that way, I think is helpful. Teenagers make bad decisions. They do dangerous things. Um, and it is emotional and stressful for us as mm-hmm. parents and people who love a teenager. Well, they're trying to figure out what they're going to be and who they're going to be. Yeah. And it's, and there's this clock about graduating high school yeah. and what comes next. And, um, our closeness in age, I'm only 13 years older than Amber has really helped me relate to her in terms of what she's experiencing as a 17 year old girl or a senior in high school 
It also adds a dynamic to our family situation, the closeness in age that I think is tremendously beneficial mm-hmm. to have, you know, people in their 30s working with teenagers. Just because, I mean, is there just a chillness, the chill factor that you guys have? I think there's definitely a chill factor. I feel like there is. Yeah. I mean, you'd have to ask Amber, but that's how we feel, I think. Yeah, and, and it's also just a, a relatability. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's just knowing even in terms of like the news that we both see or the social media things that we see, I mean, we're experiencing that all together a lot mm-hmm. of the times. Um, and so it's, I think just working with her in a way where she knows that this is a safe place to make bad decisions mm-hmm. because first of all, everybody makes bad decisions, That's huge. Um, but that will support you through them and we can get through them together as a team. Um, if we work on the basis that, we're all honest with each other all the time. Okay. Um, and that creates a safe space in this home for her to make mistakes and get on. through them. Yeah. That's, and that's a big thing. That's something we learned from working in the dorms together. We kind of treated the dorms as this place for kids to make mistakes, right? In a safe place. And that's, so you worked at a college together? We, we, we were RAs in the dorms at CU Denver. Okay. Mm-hmm. And everybody had different, kind of strategies in dealing with that situation. But uh-huh. I think for Kate and I both, I mean, I always looked at it as just this place where, hey, you can do some things and maybe in normal, the normal world, you might get into a lot of trouble for it. But, you know, we can maybe cushion you from that. Uh-huh. And that's... And sometimes a, not. Which sometimes is also true not. Of teenagers. That's true. We yeah. cannot protect her from all of her bad and decisions. Those are some her. of the lessons that we're trying to get through to her, which is hey, let's deal with this inside the house. Yeah. Try not to take it outside of the house. You know, the second you have, we can protect you if we work together on some things. But if we have school administration or law enforcement involved, uh-huh. you take away some of our latitude, uh-huh. our choices, uh-huh. you know. Uh-huh. Um, and she's, you know, as I think most teenagers do, learning that at a sort of alarming pace, yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it materializes very quickly. Um, and consequences are often very clear in these situations when it comes to behavior, especially. Um, so I think that those are obstacles when we, we were looking at fostering that we knew we could work through with a teenager. Um, when it comes to screaming babies who have, you know, an ear infection for the fourth time, like I don't know how to navigate those situations, but we knew that we could give someone life skills to get them from A to B. And so do you have specific rules in your house? Uh, there are only a couple rules. One is that, you know, we're honest with each other. We don't lie to each other. Uh-huh. Um, and the second rule is a little case specific, mm-hmm. but there are no drugs in this house mm-hmm. at any time ever at all. Um, and I mentioned briefly at the beginning that I work in the cannabis industry, um, and then we work from there. We want to have an active exchange. I want, I personally want, want to know that she understands why things are okay and why things aren't because she's not at an age where it's like just do what we say she needs to build up her own philosophy on the best way to approach problems and situations and And i'm sure talking through things with you rather than having you guys lay down the law talking through things with you probably helps her write her own mental script for how she's going to be as an adult i hope so that's 
No. I mean, that's the point of parenting, isn't it? Anyone who fosters or parents will tell you that it's not it's not about you at all. Mm-hmm. And anyone who goes into this for any sort of selfish reason mm-hmm. or even an altruistic reason is really in it for the wrong reason. Okay, I mean, say more about that because I feel like foster care attracts lots of altruistic people. I mean, people are well-intentioned, and well-intentioned people are usually good people. And I love those people, and we need those people. But mm-hmm. this is not something you do for yourself. This is something you, you mean do. to make yourself feel good about yourself. Yeah. I mean, we started out by saying we were looking for like a volunteer activity. Mm-hmm. You know, this is just so far from that. Okay. Um, this is really about profoundly affecting someone else's life to benefit them. Yeah. Uh-huh. And when you make every decision, like there are moments when you just want to scream and be like, why did you do that? Or how could you do that to me? Or you made me feel this way. Or I felt disrespected. Mm. Like you would just have to throttle that because Mm. it's about trying to understand where they're coming from and why they made the choice and what was on their mind when they behaved a certain way. And when you are able, I think that's where that chill factor comes from. We've had many moments where we sit down on this couch at the end of a difficult day and we look at what we've done and we've just thought, did we do what was truly in her best interest or did we react to something because it affected us in a certain way? Mm-hmm. And I think when you can honestly say that you did something for her, you know, you've done it correctly, mm-hmm. or at least we're trying to do that. That's always the focus, you know, is not on us, but her. Mm-hmm. Okay. Last question. So when your friends offer to help you with, you know, if they say, well, it's, you know, what I always get as a foster mom, oh, it's so great you're doing that. I wish I could do that. I could never do that. Sometimes there's also this aspect of, can I support you in some way? My friends are asking me. So do you guys have a one thing that you tell people that they could do for you guys? Or um, in general, if there's not something for your home that could be helpful to the foster care world? The first thing that comes to mind when you say that is nothing has been as humbling or as overwhelming for me in my entire personal life as the decision to become a foster parent and the overwhelming amount of support that we received from our tribe. Really? I mean, there were moments where it just brought me to tears early Mm -hmm. on in the placement where people showed up with graphing calculators that she needed for her math (laughs) class. Um, People donated money to a savings account that we were trying to get up and running to her uh, for her. People came with trap cleats and clothes that she needs, you know, um, there's an overwhelming response from your tribe and to show a foster kid that now they're part of your tribe and my tribe is your tribe and, and they care about and you. they care about you because they care about us mm-hmm. is extremely powerful. Um, but that being said, yes, people are always looking for a way to do something that is a little bit more. And one of the early things that we always talked about was respite care. Um, and I, in my lack of <laughs> understanding about fostering and respite care said you should be a respite provider mm-hmm. you know it's it's basically like babysitting foster kids mm-hmm. and i didn't know that you had to be fully certified mm-hmm. to even provide so you could go through care. all those fun classes we talked about the entire giant eight-week waste of time that we had to do to take a kid into our home you would have to do to basically babysit my same kid oh, sorry. we just wanted to go out mm-hmm. one night go away for a weekend. You know, we both travel a lot for work. Um, One of us is gone probably at least one or two weeks a month. Um, And so balancing that, you know, my parents who live in town were quick to go and get fingerprinted and background checked Uh so that they could stay in our home with her, um, which is different than respite care. And I will say that teenagers have a much lesser need for respite than people with little kids. Not only can she be left alone for longer periods of time, um, but also, 
she's away from us a lot. Mm -hmm. She's at school. She's at work. She's at her friend's house. Mm -hmm. So you don't have that self-care aspect that a lot of people with younger kids do. But I'm very sensitive to that for people who do foster younger kids. And I wish that we could identify a way to provide greater access to respite for foster parents. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense if we're providing kinship. It makes sense for us to go through the certification because we're fully committed. But if someone wants to just support us, to ask them to go through a six-week program, to look after our, our kid for an evening or to give us some relief because they care. That's, that's a huge, that's a big time commitment just for. But yeah, I think respite care is a way, is a meaningful way for people who are looking at truly supporting foster care families to get involved. And but that's a hard recommendation to make mm-hmm. when I'm asking them to commit to a full certification. So I'm hopeful that through the work we're doing on the state steering committee mm-hmm. that we'll be able to solve that problem yeah. for the system and to, to, to fast track respite care providers. I'm, I, I obviously think they should be fingerprinted and background yes. checked. We don't want to put kids in dangerous situations, right. but I also don't know why they need to, you know, spend six weeks learning about how to forge relationships with the biological parents of kids in care when they're just babysitting. Mm-hmm. It doesn't right. make any sense. Sure. Yeah. No. And if we, uh, hopefully we'll get that program running by, by the time we publish this and we can put it in the show notes for people to click and, just, I think especially making it easy for people to yeah. go through that process. Um, cause right now it's kind of cumbersome. As a system, if a system is turning away good people who want to help, then you know there's something broken there. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, thanks you guys for your time. Thank I you. I really appreciate it. And thank you for taking such good care of your girl. Thanks, Hope. Thank you for listening to The Real Foster Parents of Colorado. I'll leave this ending short in honor of Adam, but suffice it to say, We're all over the internet. If you're thinking that you'd like to figure out a way to help kids in foster care or families at risk for foster care with or without being a foster parent, that's what we're here to help you do. So get in touch with us in whatever way works best for you. We're all over social media, as I mentioned in the intro, and our website is fostertogether.co. And you can email me there or look at the options that we currently have for being involved. And I look forward to hearing from you and talking about how we can make Colorado better for kids together.